0: Today, I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Thank you, Emmett, for reading today's passage from Philippians And welcome to our online gathering, everyone. I want to just give a special welcome to all the moms joining us for this very special Mother's Day get-together. Scripture tells us to give honor to whom honor is due. And our mamas, boy, you birthed us, you've blessed us, you've bathed us, and some days you want to bury us. The fact you haven't done that, you are worthy of honor. And so today we want to celebrate you. Well, again, we love you, mamas. And we are so glad to get to celebrate this very special day with you and really to celebrate the goodness of our God on this day. You know, one of the marks of a great mama is that she always tells the truth. Great mamas always tell the truth. Now they do it in an age appropriate way. They don't tell all the details in a way that is overwhelming, but they always tell the truth. I think about my wife, Lindsay, who is just a master at this. She's very comforting and nurturing, but she always tells the truth. When she takes the kids to go to the doctor's office and the kids are afraid of getting a shot, my six-year-old especially will say, is it going to hurt? And Lindsay will say, yes, sweetheart, it will hurt, but it's going to be okay because I'm here. She tells the truth. And you need to know that the Bible is such a great gift to us because the Bible tells us the truth about the reality of life and the goodness of God. And we're coming into this moment in the letter to the Philippians where Paul, who was a spiritual parent to the Philippian church, he begins to tell them the truth that life can be really hard sometimes. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't pretend. He loves them too much to lie to them. And he uses two words in particular. This is in verse 29 and verse 30 of Philippians chapter 1. Notice the words he uses. He says, there will be suffering and struggle in life. That life will have suffering and struggle. You say, well, are you talking about viruses that are running out of control? No, not even that. Well, what about nature that just doesn't work or animals that attack or economies that fall? Is that what you're talking about, Paul? Is that the, the suffering and struggle? And Paul would quickly say, hey, look, yes, those things absolutely are in life that make life hard, but everyone deals with that. But he says, uniquely to Christians is you will have the regular suffering and struggle, but as Christians who follow Jesus, you will face people who do not like you who want bad things for you because they do not like Jesus and want bad things for Jesus, and we're Jesus' people. And Paul says, I love you too much to lie to you. And in this kind of world where things are difficult, he says, but I want you to have a vision for who you are, whose you are, and how that ought to impact and dictate your life. He says this word, this phrase in verse 27. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, conduct yourself. Now, that word conduct, there's a couple Greek words we need to just kind of unpack quickly. And that first one, the word conduct, comes from the Greek word polytoesthe. Polytoesthe, we get our words like politic and police. It carries with it this idea of being a good person citizen. Paul is literally saying as good citizens of heaven, there is a right way to conduct yourself on earth in the here and now. You say, well, what is that way? He says, well, the way to conduct yourself is in a worthy manner. The Greek word there is axios. Everybody say axios. Axios is this great little word. It literally means to To balance something, that things are balanced out. It's the idea of a scale. And he's giving this picture to us. He says, Listen, someone who's worthy of honor, a good citizen of heaven, balances what they believe with what they do. In other words, what they believe and what they do are in harmony, they are balanced. They don't say they believe one thing and do something else. They are balanced. They are a person worthy. He says, no matter what's going on, you conduct your lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God is king, that Jesus came, that we were sinners, condemned to die for our sins. But Jesus died on our behalf and he rescued us. He made us brothers and sisters, co-heirs with him. And now God is our father. God is our king we have a heavenly citizenship and there is a way to live that is different in heaven than most people live on earth. And he says, you as citizens of heaven live in a way that what you believe and how you behave are balanced. Now, if you're like me, I think, man, that sounds pretty good until life gets hard. When things start getting difficult, I begin to ask, well, is there a loophole for an easier way to live? Is there a loophole to get out of this ethical situation? Is there a loophole?" that I can look for. And I love how Paul begins this. He says, nope, no loopholes. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Yeah, but Paul, you don't understand. We have just had the greatest economic meltdown in the history of the world. I mean, even now, do I need to live? He goes, yeah, no, no, whatever happens. Well, Paul, what if I can't get back to work? What if my job is gone? He goes, no, 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 whatever happens, conduct yourselves worthy. Paul, what if I can't open my business? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? And he goes, no, no, whatever happens. But what if I lose my health, Paul? And he says, whatever happens. In fact, that's why later in this letter, he's going to tell us the secret of his contentment. He's also going to tell us in chapter three that he used to have everything. He's lost it all, but he does not count those things he's lost as worthy of anything because he knows he is a citizen of heaven and that changes how he lives here on earth. And he doesn't leave us simply to say, live a worthy life, good luck. But he says, I want to give you two things that will help you live a life worthy of the calling, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what. It's interesting, Paul does not give us an if or a but. He says, no matter what. And here's how we do it. Because when you're facing a difficult time, you're going to need to know how to stand, how to live, how to go through it. And he gives us two words. This is in the second half of verse 27. Notice the two words there. He says, you stand and you strive together. Stand together and strive together. You stand and you strive. First, that idea of standing. He says, stand firm. Now, that is soldier talk. In the world in which he lived, this word that is used there for standing firm, literally meant to stay put, to man your post. When you see the oncoming opposition, when you see people who do not agree with you, people who do not want good for you, when you see the world broken and falling apart and you feel the weight of it crashing down, when most people would turn and leave their post, he says, you stand firm. It's the idea of getting battle ready, going from a relaxed posture to a fighting posture, saying, I am here standing guard. I will not leave my post. But here's the reality. It's far easier to stand firm when you don't stand alone, because those are your two options to stand together or fall alone. We are much better together. So Paul uses this imagery of standing here, on the, on the edge of a castle wall or on the perimeter of a kingdom and watching and waiting and standing firm no matter what. So he begins as he says, you stand firm in the one spirit. That there's this unity, that we do not walk alone. We stand firm together. Now, the second thing he says, you stand firm, but you also strive together. You stand together. You strive together. Now, this idea of striving, it's an athletic term. So I love this. Paul, he's just, he's just hitting all of the testosterone buttons. I'm sorry, ladies, on Mother's Day, but he is hitting all of them. He's like, you're a soldier and you're an athlete. The idea is that you stand firm as a soldier and you work together with your team as an athlete. Paul's saying, you've got to stand, but you can't stand alone. So here's my question this morning. Are you ready? Who helps you stand and strive for the gospel of Jesus? Who is it that when you are with them, you go, yeah, I want to be like Jesus more. I am ready. Who is it who makes you courageous in the face of adversity? Who is it who inspires you to step up, not to abdicate or run away? If you have found that person... You move heaven and earth to spend as much time with them because that kind of person is someone that you want to stand with no matter what. If you know who that person is, you just get with them. Now, here's the second question, though. Who or what in your life is enticing you to desert your post, to run away, to give up? Hey, let me just talk to married couples for a moment here. I know you've spent a whole lot of time together over these past few weeks, And sometimes it's in the heat of the struggle that we are most tempted to run away. Listen, if you are struggling in your marriage, it is in this moment that you come together. You don't pull apart. You need to strive to be together. You are a team. Do you understand that your spouse is not your enemy? Your enemy is the devil, and he's your only enemy. And God wants us to work together to be a team fighting the one enemy, not fighting each other. He says, listen, if you want to, no matter what happens, conduct yourself in a manner that gives God glory, that is this worthy life, then you've got to stand together and you've got to strive together. You've got to stand firm, working together. And here's what's at stake. I just want to be real real honest with you this morning. See, when a soldier stands on the perimeter, a soldier does not simply face against a foe, but a soldier is protecting people behind him. You stand guard protecting those who are behind you. Mamas, daddies, do you understand this morning that while you stand firm, there are others that you're standing firm for? Yes, you represent Jesus. Yes, you live for Jesus. But you have children right now who are witnessing the way you stand when life is hard. And what they see in you will dictate what they do later in life. You are standing for someone else. I think about so many of you teachers who, although you don't have in-person contact with your students, you are standing firm in Jesus, for Jesus, and to protect and defend against those who are under your care, the, the students that you have influence over. My goodness, the way that you interact with them in this trying time will tell them more about who you are, the kind of person that you are, the citizen you are, than anything else you teach them all year long. I think about the business owners. I think about how you are standing firm both for Jesus Christ, but you're protecting and defending for those who are behind you, your employees and the families. I think about the employees for you. You're taking care of your family. You're standing for Christ in defense of your family as well. See, when we stand, we do not stand simply for ourselves, but we stand for each other and we don't stand by ourselves. We stand with each other. Paul says, no matter what, whatever happens, this is what is needed to be the person God has called you to be. You cannot stand alone. You cannot strive alone, because if you do, you will fall alone. I think back to that very familiar story. In the book of Exodus, chapter 17, you've got Moses. He's the leader of the Israelite nation. God comes to Moses, and God says, hey, I know that the Israelite army is about to face off against an invincible foe, and they are fighting for their very existence. So here's what I'm going to do, Moses. Take your staff and hold your staff up above your head. You hold it up, and as long as your staff is above your head, the Israelite army, they will be in victory. They will be winning, pressing against the enemies. But whenever you, the staff begins to lower, the foe will begin to press back, and the Israelites' enemies will begin to win. And and, and I, I get this picture where most like, I got this, I got this. He goes out there, he's got this stick, and, and, and I love it. You know, Charlton Heston shows up, and he just lifts his arms, and, and he's there, he's ready. And you think you can do this forever on your own, right? Have you ever just lifted your arms up? I mean, in fact, later this week, if you just want to, you know, I'd love to hear your stories. Tell us how long you can do this, videotape it, prove it to us. But hold your arms up above your head, grab a broomstick if you want. How long can you hold it? At first, it seems so, so easy, but about two minutes in, you would be convinced that you're holding a baby elephant above your head. You just get tired. And that's what happens to Moses. He is holding his arms up, and Israel's winning, but then he begins to tire. He fatigues. His arms begin to slouch. And you can almost imagine how the battle begins to shift and, and and. Right then, as his arms begin to lower far enough, right then, a young soldier, a father with three children, he is cut down, and they're leaving three children behind. Or you think about just a couple moments later, maybe there's another soldier who is recently engaged, is cut down, leaving a young bride-to-be. You see, when we stand, you need to understand this, when we stand, we do not simply affect our lives, we affect the lives of others. There's this really bad myth. In the Christian world, and I want us just to erase it from our minds, but the myth goes something like this, that the longer you walk with Jesus, the less you need other people. The longer you're a Christ follower, the less you need other people. Oh, I'm a Moses. I, I, I am a leader. I am a guy who doesn't need anyone else. I don't need to tell what's going on. I don't need to ask for help. But you understand that when I stand alone, it affects the people around me. And when you stand alone, It affects the people around you. And I love this moment in the story because as Moses begins to weary and when he gets tired, his brother Aaron and a man named Hur see what's happening. They race over, grab a seat, put it under Moses. And on each side, each man grabs one of the arms and they hold his arms up. They do not let his arms fall. Here's another question for you. Who in your life is holding up your arms? Who in your life is holding up your arms. And here's the other part to that. Who are you holding up their arms? What person are you around that you say, let me help you? Because here's one of the realities. People do not want to be an imposition. And if you need help, you will have to ask for it because people will not want to force their way into your life. But who is holding up your arms? And whose arms are you holding up? I think about this interesting thing that came out just a couple of years ago from Google. Google, the uh, company that owns the world at last count. Uh, They wanted to see through a process um, what makes the greatest teams, what makes the greatest, strongest teams out there. And so they ended up uh, pouring millions of dollars into this project over a 10-year period. They called it Project uh, Aristotle. And what they want to do is say, well, what kind of combination of skill sets, degrees, education, uh, maybe gender, whatever else. What is the perfect combination for the perfect kind of team? And so they pour all this money into it. And I love that they basically came to what the Bible said, that they could have read the answer if they just went to a hotel and read a Gideon's Bible for free. They found that what made a great team was not personality. It had nothing to do with gender had nothing to do with skills, had nothing to do with the people on the team. What makes a great team is that people feel safe and people can share with one another their struggles. What makes a great team is that people feel safe and they can share their struggles with one another. I think about how Paul, in this moment, he's saying, listen, life is hard, church. Life is hard. Let's not pretend otherwise, but we've been called to stand. We have been called to conduct our lives in a particular way, no matter what, whatever happens. And by the grace of God, God has given us an ability to do that. And it doesn't take superhuman strength. It takes struggling, striving, standing together. One other thought about the Moses story. Isn't it interesting that God told Moses to do something that he on his own could not actually do? There are going to be times that God calls you to do things that are bigger than your ability, and God calls you to do those things to draw you into community with other people. Well, back to the Google story, there was, after the results were published, there was a mid-level manager who thought, my goodness, it's just if people feel safe, that's what makes a great team? So he thought, I've got to try this out. So he grabbed his team together. They went off site. He paid for their lunch. And as they sat around, he said, I just want you to know, I love having you on my team. It is a joy to work with you. But I I want to tell you something I've not told anyone. About six months ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I haven't told anyone about this because I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't tell you because I didn't want to burden you. But I just need to tell someone. And because you're my team, I think you need to know. And I love it. This manager said, first, there's just this awkward silence. And then awkward glances. But one by one, the people began to offer words of encouragement and they began to share their struggles. Because everyone, everyone, everyone needs someone to stand with and to strive with. And I think it's so appropriate that today on Mother's Day, a day where we celebrate family, And what God has given us in a family unit that we together as the church, the spiritual family of God, you do not stand alone and you do not have to strive alone. And when life is hard, God says in those moments especially, so you continue to conduct yourself in a way that brings glory to God and honor to Jesus. In those moments, you lean in, you stand with others and you strive with others. Well, again, thank you for joining us this morning on our special Mother's Day service. If there is anything that we can do for you, please let us know. You can let us know in the comments section, or if you're joining us at the church website, there's a prayer tab there. Drop us a line. It'll go to a private prayer chat. We'd love to care for you. Whatever is going on, know this. You do not walk alone, but rather, because of what Jesus did, we get to stand together and strive together. May God bless you this week with his grace and peace. See you next week.